Harsha's rule is almost 1,500 years old, yet it is still having a big effect on the spirituality of people today. Benedict's notions of simplicity in prayer in everyday life, whether it be in work, study, or rest, speak to a new generation of overworked, time-starved, and anxious people. Today we'll be hearing from the Reverend Laurel Dayhill, priest in the Anglican Church of Canada in the Diocese of New Westminster. Laurel is the vicar of St. John the Divine Maple Ridge. Today we'll learn who St. Benedict was, about the rule of St. Benedict, about writing your own rule of life, and living as an everyday Benedictine. This podcast will give you a start for those who may not be familiar with St. Benedict, and it's also great for those looking to deepen their spiritual lives. Embark on a path of more intentional spirituality by learning about St. Benedict and his rule. Laura will talk to us about who Benedict was and give us an overview of what his rule covers and how we can come up with a rule of life all our own. Today we'll answer the questions, who was Benedict? What is the rule of St. Benedict? How do I write my own rule? And how can I live as an everyday Benedictine? Embark on a path of a more intentional spirituality by learning about St. Benedict and his rule. Benedict's way of life can greatly improve ours. St. Benedict is known as the father of monasticism, but his influence extends well beyond the walls of the many abbeys that he founded. In this podcast, the Reverend Laurel Dayhill offers us information about St. Benedict's life and influence, and particularly about his rule, the series of 73 regulations that the Benedictine religious have used since the 5th century to help give order and meaning to their daily activities. We'll talk about how these rules of life can be adapted in the lives of lay Christians every day to help us live according to our values people who are interested in incorporating prayer and devotion into their lives, who wish to spend time purposefully, and who are interested in living mindfully, may profit from this instruction. Let's take a look at the introduction to who St. Benedict was. Benedict of Nursia comes into the world in the year 480 in a place called North Umbria in Italy. He's a man of means, wakes up in the morning, he's got everything that he needs to have a successful day. He is groomed at an early age to take a leadership role in the church and in the world. Eventually he goes off to school in Rome. He's already pretty well educated and he goes to Rome and he sees a lot of excess in the church and in the people that he's working with and his peers and he sees a disconnect between what's happening in the world around him and how he feels his relationship with God is supposed to be and how his living in the world is directed by God's will. So he leaves Rome and he goes off to become a hermit on a mountain. Benedict is known as sort of the father of the monastic movement, but there are monasteries that already exist at this time. 
but he decides to go off to be alone on a mountain. So he journeys out and he stays there in a cave in the mountain. One of the monks from the monastery not far from him comes across him and they become friends. And this monk comes down and visits with him and dines with him and they talk and they share stories and they share prayer and they have a great friendship from that. At some point during his friend's time there, the uh, leader of the monastery that he's from dies and they need a new leader, a new abbot to lead them. So he goes to his friend Benedict and says, hey, you're a spiritual guy, you're very well grounded, why don't you come and be our new abbot? Over the course of all the time that they spent together talking and sharing stories, Benedict heard all of the different things that are going on with the brothers in this monastery. And there's drama, and there's discontent, and there's all sorts of things that Benedict doesn't want to have anything to do with. So he tells his friend, thank you, but no, I'm going to stay here. His friend asks him again. He says, no, no, really, we want you to come and be the abbot of our monastery. And again, Benedict says no. Finally, he talks him into it. And so Benedict goes to the monastery and he becomes the abbot. He really only knows this one monk. And so he's just now being introduced to all the other brothers who live there. The other brothers don't see what their brother the friend of Benedict, sees in Benedict. They find Benedict to be too austere, too demanding, and too disciplined. Benedict doesn't fit into the enjoyable life that these monks had up until this point. And so they try to kill him. Not once, but twice, because the first time didn't work. This becomes part of the lore of Benedict. After this second attempt on Benedict's life, Benedict realizes that he's not wanted there after all. So he decides to leave rather than a third attempt on his life. So he leaves and he goes back to his original cave. But some of the monks that were there did appreciate his discipline and his form of worship and prayer throughout the day. And they wind up following him. Benedict moves around to several different locations and everywhere he goes, he plants another little monastery. These monasteries grow. What makes Benedict stand out in the monastic history is that he wrote down all of his rules and codified them so that others could follow. So even though he wasn't at a monastery in one particular town, they could still carry on the discipline and the forms that he was working with. Benedict, again, is not the first person to write a rule down. He does use some other sources to guide how he decides uh, that a rule of life should look. The rule of Benedict that we have today is a single volume with 73 rules. And the rules run a whole range of things such as when you eat and uh, what you eat, living arrangements, daily prayer, daily office, the reading of the Psalms and memorization of the Psalms, uh, down to daily work, education, and even rest times. So as we go through the rule of Benedict, we're going to look at each of these sections of rules and in little chunks. Uh, and then from there, we'll be able to distill out a rule of life that you can write for yourself. St. Benedict codified 73 rules that revolved around the process of work, study, rest, and prayer. Prayer was the central activity that gave the rest of the day its rhythm and meaning. In this section, 
Laurel Dayhill discusses what Benedict's rule covers and gives examples of how it played out in the day-to-day -day monastic life of the 15th century. She also discusses the themes and activities that form the basis for Benedict's rule and how the code helped focus the monks' attention on their devotion to God. Let's hear more about the rules. Benedict devised 73 rules of life that cover several different areas of everyday living. The first theme is one of work, how work is to be done and performed during the day, who gets to come to work and what happens when they come late. He also talks about daily manual labor and descriptions about what each job in the monastery is. For instance, you could be the abbot or the prior, you could be a cellarer, you could be simply the doorkeeper, porters. Each of these rules is designed to create a daily discipline and a daily pattern in life. Once you fit yourself into this daily pattern and daily discipline, life becomes easy. You can simply do the work that you are called to do, and your mind is freed up to pray, to meditate upon God, upon the Psalms or the scripture readings that you worked on earlier in the day during worship. Discipline in Benedict's rule revolves around the process of learning the rule. Whenever we're learning new things, we make mistakes. We try again, we learn from our mistakes and become better at what we do. Benedict's rules, although it may seem difficult when we use the word discipline, actually works to help make the monks better people, more focused and more able to be successful in what they do. Knowing that there's a learning curve with all things, especially when you're learning to live in a community with others, uh, Benedict creates particular rules such as those who will not amend after repeated correction, what happens when you become stubborn and you just don't want to learn? How do we handle that in a community? Benedict has some rules. He also talks about those who make mistakes in the oratory. That is to say, when you're reading the scriptures or you're praying in the group, uh, what happens when you make a mistake? How do we make amends to correct that so that we can all pray smoothly, clearly, plainly, opening our hearts to God without worrying about making a mistake? Benedict also talks about those who fail in any other matter. What happens when you do the wrong thing at the wrong time? Well, Benedict has a way of managing mistakes that happen, as they always do. Finally, for those who simply aren't fitting in well with a Benedictine community, what happens when you have to ask someone to leave? Someone whose way of life is very difficult uh, to blend with everyone else, and they have to go, how do you gently and lovingly show them the door so that they can find a path to God in a different way, one that suits their personality? Along with that, we also have daily prayer. Daily prayer is the core of Benedict's rule uh, and his way of life. We pray several times a day. We punctuate our daily activities with prayer. We wake up early in the morning and there's a prayer, and then we do some work, and then we pray again. There's a time of rest, and again, prayer later in the day. Throughout the day, all activity is punctuated with different kinds of prayer. How many psalms are to be said at night? Benedict takes all 150 psalms and spreads them out over the course of a period of time so that the monks eventually pray all 150 psalms. In what order the psalms are to be said? Benedict decides which psalms by theme work well with different parts of the day. 
in the Episcopal Church's Book of Common Prayer. If you look in the section on the Psalms, you'll see notations that say for the morning, for the afternoon, and for evening. This is part of the Benedictine tradition. Benedict also talks about the manner in which we say our prayers. Prayer is so important to Benedict that divine human interaction and connection that we have. So that how we pray to God, not simply what we pray to God, informs how we believe and how we then take those prayers and make them actions in the world. Benedict places a high value on reverence in prayer. The way we speak to God, not simply what we say when we speak to God, is just as important. Benedict's rule also includes prescriptions for a common prayer when we pray with groups of people, prayer when we are alone, meditative prayer, and also manual work, which he considers to be a prayer in action. Benedict believes that prayer should not be overly austere or burdensome. Fasting and vigils should be done humanely, to be done for our own benefit, not simply for our detriment. Benedict believes at the very core of his rule that there should be a rhythm to life, to work, to rest, to study, and to prayer. We can look at the rule of Benedict as though it's a form of breathing. We breathe in, we rest, we breathe out, we rest. There are times when we are active and times when we are passive. And in Benedict's rule, there are times for that throughout the day and throughout the seasons of the year. The overarching themes for Benedictine spirituality in this way with these 73 rules is stability, balance in regular activities in times of work and rest and prayer and study and whatnot. Their devotion to God in Jesus Christ is central in their prayer. Devotion can come in many forms. All other activities are secondary, but they relate back to the central relationship of the individual to God and the community of disciples. Now that we know more about St. Benedict and his rule of life, we'll discuss how Christians might adapt the Benedictine pattern to give meaning and structure to our lives. Laurel Dayhill describes how we can set goals for ourselves to use in creating our own rules of life based on the Benedictine model. She'll tell us how we can identify natural patterns that guide our day-to-day -day living and how to find places where we are not using time as we wish to use it. Finally, she'll offer us her own use of the Benedictine model in her life as an example of how other Christians might adapt the Benedictine pattern in our lives. Let's get ready to write our own rule of life. Writing your own rule of life using the Benedictine pattern is a great way to find the patterns in your life that already exist and using them as prayer points for your daily living. Like Benedict, let's have a pragmatic approach and use what actually works and what doesn't work, we'll set it aside. Spend time considering the things that you value in your daily life, your work, your rest, recreation, prayer, time you spend with your family and friends, and time that you spend alone. Use a pragmatic approach in the same way that Benedict used when he created his rule of life. Consider patterns that already exist in your day. You have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, there are days of the week, there are seasons of the year. How can you emphasize the importance of your values using the patterns that already exist? When it comes to prayer life, you have Sunday worship, you have grace before meals, prayers at bedtime. In your physical life, 
You have the times that you exercise, times that you work, times that you take a nap in the afternoon when you need to. There are vacations and holidays. In your education life, you've got your school year, you've got spring break, you've got holiday breaks throughout the year. You also have times to study more for exams. Take some time to make a chart that shows how many hours you spend each day in each of these activities, whether you're reading, whether you're playing, whether you're resting. That'll give you a good idea of how many hours you are already spending in these activities and how you might adjust those to spend more time using Benedictine prayer to support your life. After you've discerned how many hours you spend in each of the activities that you do, consider how you want to spend those times. Where is time wasted? Where could time be, where could you give more time to different activities? Find the balance that you want and use the Benedictine rule to guide your path rather than having the world guide you for you. In my life and the rule of life that I've created for me, as an example, I feel that it's important to have a balance in body, mind, and spirit. And so every morning before I do anything else, I wake up and I say a prayer of thanksgiving. I feel it's important that the first words out of my mouth in the morning are thank you to God, to address God for my life and my health, my ability to get up and do the things that I need to do. I'd like to give God the very, very best and first fruits of my day. And so for me, that's waking up with a prayer of thanksgiving. And then I go to the gym and I spend an hour in physical prayer. No, not really. I spend an hour at the gym working out and making the body that God has given me as healthy as I can. I go home, I have breakfast. I gather my things and I go to work. I eat six to eight times a day. So that part of the daily pattern to my life is pretty regimented. So I need to make sure the things that happen around it both have enough time and also, uh, well, it gets done. I try to fit as many meetings as I can in the morning between 10 and 12 when I'm at work so that I can get to people and what their needs are and the needs of the community in which I work and live and function. In the afternoon, I spend time reading and studying. And then in the, in the early afternoon, I spend time reading and studying planning for the next day and getting things ready so that the next day flows smoothly. I go home for dinner in the evening and then in the evening after that, I have, in the time after my dinner, uh, I have further meetings and gatherings with others. Before I go to bed at night, I set up breakfast in the morning so that when I get up, I can go off to do my prayer and my workout and I come back and things are already ready to go the next day. Part of Benedictine spirituality is setting yourself up for success. And so by having things ready the night before, the next day moves a whole lot smoother. And I can fit myself into the Benedictine pattern of work and rest and prayer and study. I pray before all of my meals. And I eat a lot during the day. So there are lots of mealtime prayers. Thanking God for the abundance that I have, for my health, that the food that I eat is going to give me the energy that I need to continue to serve one another and to serve my community. I pray before bed 
And oftentimes that takes the form of prayer beads to focus my thoughts. So much happens during my day that it's easy to simply drift off to sleep and not have the focus that I had earlier in the day. So using prayer beads, which is a monastic model of prayer, helps me to focus my thoughts, helps me to recap my day, to meditate upon my experiences, and then ask God to help me rest in the night so that I can do it all again the next day. Now that we've been giving the building blocks to write our own rule of life based on the rule of St. Benedict, how do we live as a Benedictine in today's world? Living according to the Benedictine model can change the way we eat, dine, rest, talk, study, and pray. The Benedictine system offers ways to incorporate purpose into our daily activities and mindfulness as we pursue them. In this section, Rev. Day Hill discusses ways in which Benedictine spirituality can be incorporated into many examples of ordinary day-to-day activities. Most importantly, she'll emphasize how to bring prayer into our day, how to incorporate communication with God regularly into our routines, and how to bring mindfulness of ourselves as a child of God into our daily activities. What do you eat at your meals? Do you eat without thinking, or do you eat thoughtfully? Do you grab something on the fly, or do you think about what it is that you're putting into your body? Benedictine eating is done generally in silence, so that you can hear what you're eating, so that you can be attentive to the food in front of you. A lot of people will pull their dinner out in front of the television, and we know that when you're watching television while you're eating, you tend to eat more than you really need to. Benedictine dining is done in silence, surrounded by your brothers or sisters who are in your community, be that your friends or your family. And you focus on what it is that you're putting into your body. Benedictine prayer in the morning, in the midday, in the afternoon, in the evening, focuses on taking a break from what you're doing to remember that you are God's child and to remember that that divine human pattern of communication is always there. It's an invitation to take a breath in the middle of the day, to focus on your purpose as God's child in the world, and to remind you that all that you do is a prayer to and with God. Think about the times that you rest. Do you rest because you're being intentional about resting to make the active decision that now is the time to take a break, or do you simply stop what you're doing? Benedictine intentionality calls us to be decisive about the choices that we make. Instead of simply being the victim of tiredness, you actively decide to take a rest and to take a break and to remember that you can't do all of the things that you want to do or you have to do if you're exhausted. Benedictine spirituality is pragmatic in that it wants us to do the best that we can with what we've got. And in order to do all of that, it asks us to be careful in each of the things that we do. Benedict talks about talking. Benedictine communities are oftentimes uh, silent places. We don't speak unless there's something to be said. Unless it enhances the silence, 
Speaking is generally not something that they do all the time. They frown upon gossip and idle talk. We talk a lot in our culture. We are surrounded by information that floods into us and oftentimes it's hard to decide what we want to listen to and what we have to listen to and what we really don't want to hear. Benedictine spirituality calls us to be truly intentional about what we say and how we say it. God has given us words to use and ears to hear. It's up to us to decide to use them in a godly way and in a prayerful way. When you speak, speak only what you need to say. And be careful and be a good steward of your hearing so that what you allow into your brain is something that will feed you and nourish you your body, mind, and spirit. Study in the Benedictine way is a purposeful activity. Benedict wants us to expand our minds, to give us something to think about that's not idle, to direct us to the way God is working in the world through other people, through reading books that other people write, through study and meditation, as well as simply experiencing. God has given us brains to learn and minds to think. And Benedictine spirituality, as it relates to education, addresses that on a daily basis. What do you read? What do you learn? Or have you stopped? Once you graduate, have you decided, I'm done and I never need to study again? Benedict would say, yes, you do. You need to keep your mind active. You need to keep your thoughts engaged. There's so much of the world around us that we can't see all by ourselves. And so we rely on authors and classes to expand our thoughts, to make our lives beautiful and rich and full. Learning in whatever way that, in whatever shape that takes, is a, an important part of the Benedictine experience. When you pray, how do you pray? What do you say? When I was little in my family, we used to say grace before meals. And my brother and I, by the time supper came around, we were so hungry, we had to race to see who could say grace the fastest. We got it down to about half a second each. That's not really prayer. Benedict wants to engage in the divine human conversation, and we do that with prayer. How do you pray? Do you simply talk to God as though you were talking to a friend? Do you share your life and your daily activities with God to say, hey, this is what's going on in my life? Do you follow prayers that have already been written down? Most people know the Lord's Prayer by heart. Some people pray it in their own way. Some people pray in a different language because it makes that time that we get to speak with God and that divine human communication it makes it real, and it makes it authentic. God wants to be in touch with us. God wants to talk with us. We call that prayer. Some people will take a break in the middle of their day, between meetings or in a lull, on their way to the coffee shop, and they'll say a little prayer to God. Some people memorize them. Some people just speak the mind, speak their heart. What's important is that prayer punctuates the day. In whatever way your day shapes up to be, I'm willing to bet you can find some time in there where you can toss in a little prayer to check in with God and keep that divine, divine human communication open and alive. 
May the Lord bless and keep us. May the Lord shine his countenance upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace, today and forevermore. Amen. That's the end of our podcast today. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about us, again, go to churchnext.tv.